Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. It's October 24, 2016, and this is episode 546. So today I'm excited to bring you, strangely, the first conversation for this podcast with my friend Doug Kay. So, Doug, welcome to the show. Martin, it's glad to be here. It is sort of strange that we haven't ever done this before, given how long we've known one another. Exactly. I mean, we, we've been speaking together on, on This Week in Photo for many years. Um, you're one of the few people in the U.S. Um, or of overseas that I've actually met a number of times. Um, we had a great afternoon in, in uh, San Francisco together. And uh, and you you joined my Iceland tour. Um, was it last year? Uh, oh boy, I think it was maybe maybe two years ago. Two, two years, years ago, ago, probably. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but that's and I and I want to point out that I I tell people that 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 was a marvelous trip to Iceland with you. But it's the thing that cured me of of landscape photography. <laughs> I haven't I have not taken a single landscape photograph since that time because, you know. <laughs> I couldn't possibly do do have have as good an experience, and I haven't done any landscape since. <laughs> you, you know, I've never really thought about it this way, but or that way. But I um, I I don't run around trying to find landscapes um, locally. I mean, obviously in Tokyo, there's not many landscapes, but cityscapes. I don't try to photograph domestically any as anywhere near as much as I used to because. It's hard to beat landscapes like that. So I can kind of understand where you're coming from with that. And you'll, you'll remember from that trip, it was, it was your workshop. And I think I was the only, let's call me street photographer in a group of landscape photographers. <laughs> and so the, the, some of the highlights for me were in downtown Reykjavik. <laughs> At the start and the end of the trip. That's right. But, yeah, but yeah, I I remember seeing you. You know, you were grabbing the the photos of people walking past the colorful houses because I mean Reykjavik is actually a pretty cool place to do street photography, so I uh, I can fully understand that. But uh, yeah, it was it was great traveling with, with you there, and uh, so you know we we've got the the background. I'm I'm surprised that we haven't actually talked for this podcast. And I I searched for your name. I thought we had didn't come up so uh, so this is the first time but it's great to welcome you to the show and we're going to talk about traveling and photographing in cuba um because obviously cuba's changed slightly the 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 logistics of getting there have probably changed for people from the us so we, we're going to talk about that today and then look at some of your beautiful photograph from that lovely colorful country great so Let's see. Before actually, before we jump into that, let's talk a bit, little bit about um, you know. You, you've obviously we we first met on Frederick Van Johnson's this week in photo. Um, you were running. People will probably know you from the All About the Gear podcast, um, and you're you're currently transitioning to a, another podcast in, at Camera Labs. So, I mean, just tell us a little bit about your background. What, what, what sort of brought you to the point where you are right now? <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and it's, it's been a long, long story. It's, a, it's a long story. You know, I, uh, uh, I, I studied lighting design as an undergraduate. I studied cinematography as a grad student. I worked in film and television. I then took about 25 years off and went into a career in uh, software. Hmm. And uh, after that... Um, you know, I didn't even own a camera until the early 2000s, and I went on a safari to Kenya and, and said, gee, I guess I better get a camera, and um, picked up my first digital camera then, and uh, when I retired from the dot-com world, because um, I, um, I worked for four different startups in four years, so I retired from that, and I am now... I call myself a full-time amateur photographer, although <laughs> I do uh, I do make uh, a bit of an income from it as well. Yeah, well, that that's actually I mean that's really powerful because obviously the word amateur comes from doing something because you love it, and I think that that's a really important thing. So I I like that angle. Let Let's talk about Cuba then. Um, what, what what's changed? How how are yeah. things over there? 
You know, I've been going to Cuba for many years. Uh, I've made five trips there. I've got some upcoming workshops that will be my sixth, seventh, and eighth trips to Cuba. Wow. And um, it has changed so much and so quickly that, you know, if I go just, if I go back after being away for only two months, I notice changes. Wow. Um, And they're, they're really sort of two, there are two ways to look at this. One is obviously it's very unique for everybody in the world, but it's unusually unique. It's uniquely unique for Americans, as you know. Mm. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the challenge in Cuba is that it really is a country that in 1959 took a different direction than the rest of the world. Mm. And because of the U.S. embargo, which is still technically in place today, um, a lot of Cuba has not changed since 1959. That's why we have the old cars. That's why we have the crumbling buildings, um, which of course are, are photographically spectacular, but it's a little tough on the Cuban people not being able to have the things that they really need, which is, you know, infrastructure and, and money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, some of the things that are particularly interesting for people who are going to Cuba um are, here's here's an interesting change. You've all seen pictures of the famous Malacone, the the wall by the sea where all the people hang out, particularly late in the evening, and they're just out there to interact with one another and socialize. Mm. And I was there uh, in, I guess the first time was last November, or a year ago, mm. and I went down at 11 p.m. and there was nobody there. Wow. And I couldn't figure out where people were. So I w- was walking around, I walked up, uh, Avenida 23, up towards the Hotel Nacional, and there was everybody. Mm. Everybody was on this street corner. It turns out the government had put in Wi-Fi. Oh wow! <laughs> and so this is a this is a phenomenal sociological change in Havana, where Wi-Fi is available to everybody, mm. and of course everybody flocks around it. Everybody is on, you know, talking to their relatives and friends in other parts of the world. Wow. So. So just, you know, just to see what happens when a country opens up and adds Wi-Fi and makes it available to everybody is, is quite a shock. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's incredible. And, and it, it's kind of sad in some ways just to, that, you know, we, we have to flock to those things. But I can certainly appreciate that a country that's not really had that, that's got to be amazing. Um, it reminds me of I, I walked past a, a bar in Reykjavik um, while I was there. And it it said um, outside there was a sign. It said, "Sorry, no Wi-Fi. Have a, have something to eat and get drunk." <laughs> like, <laughs> oh no, talk to each other and have something to eat and get drunk. That was it. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's that's amazing. Yeah, it's. I mean, things like that have opened up quite a bit. Um, you're, you know, there's a good chance that your mobile phone will work there. It might cost a lot of money, but if you're uh, an American, if you have a Verizon phone, Verizon phones have worked for over a year there. Hmm. Uh, AT&T and T-Mobile have announced that their phones will work there as well. You'll still pay maybe $3 a minute for voice. You might pay 50 cents a minute for a text, uh, sorry, 50 cents a message for texting, hmm. but they do work there. Uh, at least Verizon does. And, and again, by the time you hear this, um, it's that close that I think uh, T-Mobile and then AT&T are going to have that as well. So that's a big change. Um, the, the, I think that Cubans, however, are still somewhat limited. If you have a Cuban phone or a phone with a Cuban SIM, mm. you're still limited really to only talking to people within Cuba. Oh, wow. So, you know, your American phone, you can call anywhere in the world. Mm. Um, so it's it's interesting. But I think, and I, I don't know, I should know this, but I don't know if people coming from... Uh, the UK or from Europe or Japan, if their phones work there or not, I should know that. I'm going to have to find that out. Mm. It'd be interesting to 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 know that. Um, so you know, as you're talking here, I'm I'm thinking of stuff that I want to ask. Um, are the other Cubans? You know, you you mentioned earlier that they they could do with better infrastructure, and you know, there's all of this. They're, this 50 year gap. Are they aware of what's happened around the re- the rest of the world? Do they have like Western TV and stuff like that, or have they been oh, pretty yeah, much they, cut off? They know very much. In fact, there's a. <laughs> it's sort of funny. Cuba is a fascinating place in that 
because it's all heavily regulated and government control, you might not think of it, but there's an incredible black market for everything. Really? And one of the things that almost everybody gets by the black market is something they call it the packet, I think. Yeah. And they're essentially getting every week, they're getting a DVD. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's, it's produced in large volume and distributed totally underground, but it has on it TV shows, American TV shows, typically. Um, the, the most popular show in, in Cuba is Big Bang Theory, which is an American TV series. Mm. Um, uh, but they get news. Now, remember, they're only 90 miles from the tip of Florida. Yeah. So they actually have the ability, if they want to, to also get satellite uh, TV. Satellite is illegal. It's illegal for them to have a satellite receiver, but a number of people do have those tucked away and hidden away. Oh, wow. um, but they're very, very aware of, of international issues, uh, particularly Florida and American politics. They're very, very involved with that because, of course, the whole embargo and Obama and, you know, the U.S. election and all of this stuff is very much a big issue for them. So, yeah, they're they're certainly not in a vacuum there. Wow. That, uh, that's got to lead to some frustration as well. But, um, okay, so what about um, photography? You, when you travel to Cuba, you, you've obviously, you're going to take some gear. Is Cuba a safe place to walk around with cameras? Yeah, well, that's an interesting question. It, it used to be very safe. You could go anywhere. Hmm. Um, and, you know, certainly on a personal basis, I feel very safe going anywhere. Women in my workshops feel generally safe going anywhere. Hmm. However... If you consider that the average salary for a Cuban, remember now they have health care, a lot of food, education, all that's paid for, mm. but their salary above and beyond that might be uh, 40 or $50 a month. Mm. Wow. Well, the, the temptation to see, you know, a few thousand dollars worth of camera gear that they might be able to sell somewhere for a few hundred dollars can be really, uh, really tough for them. So, mm. There are cases where people, a few people have had cameras stolen. Um, I've been walking on the Malacone. I've had plainclothes police come up to me and uh, suggest to me that I not might not want to be flashing my gear around quite so much. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're with a group of people, of course, there's not a problem. Nobody's going to come and, and, you know, steal cameras from, you know, five people. Yeah. Uh, but it's good not to be you know, hanging, you know, three bodies off your shoulder and a, you know, backpack full of gear. Yeah. Um, again, this is probably only at night. This is probably only when you're away from crowds uh, in the evening. Uh, but see. certainly during daylight hours, no one, there's no problem. There's very little crime in Cuba. Well, that's good to hear. Have you got any other, any other tips on, on, you know, how to, how to get around when you're there, for example. I mean, on, on your tours, you how do you travel from location to location? Yeah, the, the, there are two aspects. One, of course, is getting there, which for Americans, we can talk about that. That's a, still a pretty big deal, just getting to Cuba. If you're not American, you can book a flight to Havana just like you go anywhere else. Hmm. The the Within Cuba, we have buses. The buses are rented from the government, you have a government bus driver, you have a government tour guide. Now we have people in addition to that, we have photographers that work with us uh, who are also our, our better guides, but you know, you're assigned a driver and a guide in a bus. Wow. Um, and this is, you know, we have, we have one workshop that's Havana only, we have one workshop that goes to two other cities. Mm. So we get around, and they're very nice buses. They're, you know, beautiful, brand new Chinese air conditioned buses. Wow. But, um, the big challenge right now is housing. And the reason is that when President Obama started to open up Cuba by sort of finding ways to work around the embargo, and this was two years ago that this began, mm. what happened was that the Europeans in particular, the Brits and the Germans most notably, somehow the word got out that you'd better go to Cuba now because <laughs> the Americans are going to screw it up. <laughs> And so two years ago or a year and a half ago, I noticed that, that the smaller towns in particular where you, you know, in Havana, it's a big city. You don't notice an influx of people, but in a smaller town, it's very obvious. I see. And so all of a sudden we were getting 
hordes of Germans and British tourists. <laughs> um, and there, there's no, there are no new hotels. There are no new places to stay. Uh-huh. And so this big influx and there's no residence, there's no hotel infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So you've got a number of old hotels. Some of them are being brought back into service and remodeled. There is one Chinese hotel that's being built, but it's years out. Mm. Um, so it's very important if you're going to go to Cuba that you know ahead of time where you're going to stay. Oh, uh, yes. hotel, the ho- one hotel we used to stay at is now charging $650 a night. Oh, wow. um, we, we obviously can't afford to stay there any longer. So we've had to move farther and farther from the center of Havana uh, because of that. Now, <laughs> one thing that's really big there is Airbnb. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of people, if they go on their own, will find a place through Airbnb. They have um, casas particulares. Uh, these are private homes that rent rooms, and it's regulated by the government. Mm. The quality of them is quite good. Um, and I've had a number of, of people, my students, who have gone back to Cuba on their own and stayed at uh, casas particulares booked through Airbnb. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, anything else that you that you wanted to talk on, you know, about traveling in Cuba? Well, just a, a couple of things that are really interesting, a little little tidbits. And again, if you're on one of my workshops, of course, we sort of you don't have to know this because you learn this as part of going on the workshop. But yeah. one is don't take American dollars in there because when they convert them to European to uh, Cuban convertible pesos, yeah, uh, they actually charge a ten percent fee. It's actually cheaper to convert your money to Canadian dollars or to euros and then convert it a second time once you're there. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's an interesting yeah. tip. Um, there are no credit cards. I mean, oh. there, you know, you can, you know, you can, might be able to use a credit card at a major hotel, but it's pretty much a cash only world there. So take everything that you need in cash. Hmm. Uh, that's an important thing. Is it, is um, it expensive? How, how much Cash typically would you need for, say, a week there? Well, that's a good question. You know, um, hmm. <laughs> in my workshops, everything is 100% included. Oh, of course, so you, yeah. You, you can go there with nothing. I mean, you, you can show up there with all you, uh, just enough money to come back with your cigars and your rum, which is now legal, by the way, even for Americans. Ah. Um, but... Um, uh, you know, you can get a good, of, of, of extremely good dinner for $25. You can have uh, a, a good dinner for $10. Oh, wow. But, you know, you it's, things are not generally expensive except for hotels now. Hotels have gotten pretty expensive. Ah, uh, okay. Cool. Um, but but that's about it. And, you know, you can, you can walk everywhere in Havana that you need to. Although if you stay, you know, a distance, you might want to take a taxi. Mm. Taxi might cost you uh, the equivalent of, oh, you know, $5 U.S. Mm. Uh, to to get from the edge of town to the middle of town. I see. Um, of course, these prices are always going up because, you know, tourism is, tourism is the big impact. You know, the basically Cuba was, as a communist country, it was supposedly one class of people, but... As you can imagine, there's the elite who have lots of money, and then there's everybody else who had almost nothing. Hmm. But there's now a substantial middle class, primarily because of tourism. Oh, uh, I so see. if you if you are lucky enough to work as a tour guide or a, a photographer, you know you might make a hundred dollars a day. Yeah. Now compare that to fifty dollars a month, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So suddenly you have a group of people. Um, who have income above and beyond what the government provides, and so you, you know, you get that. It's a, it's, it's, fa- it's really fascinating to see a country evolving, sort of right under your feet. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, you know, they. It, it used to be that you, you know, the, your home was assigned to you by the government, and you were there forever. Mm-hmm. And now, now recently, they allow people to trade homes with one another. Oh. That's. Um, there are privately owned restaurants that never used to be the case. Mm. Uh, it used to be that for a while it was maximum of 20 seats. Now you can have a restaurant with up to 50 seats, uh, all, all privately owned. So to, to see this evolve in sort of real time is sort of fascinating. Yeah, it must be. Do you think that there's, 
there's anything sort of bad on the horizon. I mean, you, you talked about the Brits and the Germans sort of going in in their hordes. It, as as things open up, do you think it's going to become more difficult to travel over there, or is are things going to get better? It's there, there's no way that their infrastructure, and I mean everything that includes electricity and sewage and everything, is going to keep up with it. Mm. And so the Cuban government is trying to manage it. They're they're doing a you know with Raúl Castro taking over from um, uh, his brother. It's it's they're trying to manage the expansion. They don't want it. They don't, they don't want Starbucks and McDonald's coming in. Mm. Uh, but they're trying to open it up for, you know, a bit more private business and so forth. And it's, it's a challenge for them because they physically don't have the, they don't have the money. Mm. Um, and until money can come in and stay in the country, which is of course is the one thing that the American government officially doesn't want. That's, that's the whole (laughs) point of the embargo. Mm. Uh, so it's still a challenge for them, but, um, it's, it's, it's again, fascinating to watch. Mm. Um, and the question, the big question for everyone is as more money comes into Cuba, how much of that actually trickles down to the poorest people there, Yeah, you know, yeah. or does it just stay with the middle and upper classes there? Mm. Um, that's yet to be seen. Yeah. I'm just looking on, um, on Wikipedia. There's, there's 11.27 million people in, in Cuba, the population, so that's, that's is that Cuba, or, Cuba or Havana, uh, Cuba. So okay. not, yeah, not just Havana, but I yeah. was thinking, cause you know, like, um, Iceland has 330,000 people on the whole island right. and they welcomed two and a half million tourists last year. Um, <laughs> so when you, when you think about, I mean, this, even, even as the tourism grows, it's still going to be a relatively small uh, proportion of the, of the population, but Hopefully, one way that Cuba will um, see some some foreign income is is from the tourism, and then if they if they're good if they're careful with that and use it in the right way, then obviously it'll probably help them to a degree to improve their infrastructure, and that will hopefully uh, make it more easy for people to go over there. But the, there's a, another side of that from a photographer's standpoint is. We, we don't necessarily want the place teeming with tourists. Um, Iceland is, is getting difficult in some ways because there are so many tourists there now that you, you know, the place, some places on the south coast, close, anything that's within driving distance of Reykjavik now is getting quite difficult to, to actually photograph without tourists all over the place. So sure. it's, it's, it's one of those, um, you know, you want them to succeed as a country, you want things to get better for the people, but as a, as a selfish photographer, we, don't, we want it to ourselves. So it's That's difficult. Right. It's, a, it's the same thing, you know, uh, I just, while you were talking, I checked. Havana has just a little over 2 million people. Wow. So Havana is roughly 10 times the size of Reykjavik in mm. terms of population. Yeah, because uh, I think about two thirds of the Icelandic folks live in Reykjavik, don't they? Something yeah, well, like th- three hundred thirty thousand—that's for whole, that's for the whole of Iceland. So. Yeah, so I think it's two hundred and something in Reykjavik alone. Yeah, though, yeah. Something like There's, that. It's about about half, maybe more, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's uh, densely populated, and of course in Cuba, I mean, if you go to if you go to Iceland, most of the people want to visit the areas outside of Reykjavik. They want yeah. to see the beautiful landscape, but yeah. in Cuba. The, the primary attraction is Havana itself. So yeah. it, it gets fairly crowded and you have a density of people that you just don't have in Iceland. Yeah. I mean, it's very, Havana is a very densely populated city in what's called Havana Vieja, which is old Havana. Mm. Um, you know, you've got, you essentially have buildings, gorgeous, gorgeous buildings that are crumbling, falling apart. They used to be private family homes that had, you know, a staff of people. And when, the government took over in 59, they essentially forced the homeowners out and mm. told the people who worked in those buildings, those homes, that they could now live in them. Oh, wow. Well, over the years, those people have had children who will live with them mm. and those children, their children have had children. Mm. So you have, you know, you have a fairly large number of people living in a, in a building that used to occupy it you know, before a single family. Wow. Yeah, I get um, you. And so it, it it gets fairly dense. It's it's a it's an intense place in that sense. Mm-hmm. So you've you've sent me some photographs to talk about. Uh, obviously, we, you know, having discussed the the logistics and you know all of these ideas about Cuba, let's move on and talk a little bit about some of your photographs. And for the listeners, uh, these will be in a 
uh, a post which will, you can get to with the short link mbp.ac slash 546. Uh, so just, you know, unless you're listening to the enhanced podcast, uh, you know, on, on a device that can actually see the images. Um, so, so we'll start with the first one. You, you've got this beautiful shot of the reflection of the old car. Tell us a little bit about this, Doug. Yeah, you know, when <laughs> when my students come to Cuba, hmm. of course, the first thing they do is they get off the plane and say, oh, my God, look at the gorgeous old cars. And that's what they've heard of. That's what they've seen. And they're snapping away. And then we get to downtown Havana. It's the beautiful old crumbling buildings and they're snapping away. And I just sort of impatient. I said, you know, just give yourself a day or two. You'll get over it because there are hundreds of these cars, mm -hmm. right? And the buildings are everywhere. And, uh, you know, eventually people learn that Cuba is really more about the people. But anyway, this is a shot that uh, it was raining. It was near the uh, University of Havana. And I just wanted to get a shot that was a little bit different. Mm. Uh, because you know, you've seen so many pictures of the car. So this is a reflection in a puddle. I admit this one is a bit enhanced mm. um, uh, to make it look the way it looks. The, the the natural part of the image is up at the top. But this is just a, a puddle, my guy driving by in his taxi. Yeah. I like the way, you, you know, you've obviously, the, the puddle car looks looks more vivid. Um, but I like that. It almost It almost gives me a sense of, you know the the reflection, the non-reality is 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 almost um, more happy and 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 vivid and colourful than the than the real life. Um, there, there might be something sort of some subliminal messaging going on in there, but um, not intentionally, I'm sure. But it, I, I love that. It's uh, it's great. Well, it's, you know, it's the challenge we all have, which is whether it's landscape or street photography, how do you do something that's unique? And this is, this is one of my attempts. Yeah. Oh, it's lovely. I, I really like it. So the, the second one, the, that stunning yellow, tell us a little bit about this. Well, you know, the, the cheapest remodeling is a can of paint and even that's <laughs> expensive for them, but, uh, -uh. uh it's it's a colorful city because no matter what the condition of walls like this might be, people are going to paint them bright colors. Mm. So this is a, a street I know well, and I'm obviously set up across the street. Beautiful time of day. We've got the long shadows, mm. um, and I'm just waiting for the right person to essentially enter my stage. Mm. Uh, and it, you don't have to wait very long to get a bright red skirt and uh, someone carrying a baby with the, the blue that matches the blue of the shutters, right? Mm. Mm. Um, That's great. But uh, the, the sad part is this particular wall, mm. when I was back there a few months ago, mm. they painted this, painted it this very faded yellow. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm hoping I'll go back sometime and have it restored to this bright yellow that looks so good. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, you, we, I guess we can't stop people from uh, from col changing the color of their buildings. Uh, yeah, I, uh, what's with the um, with the bars on the windows? Is that security? Or, uh, you know, do you know what that's well, those, about? Well, those those are the windows. There's probably no glass in those windows. I see. Uh, so it's a, you know, it's a Caribbean country. It's you know always warm or warm enough there. And so the people who live in this part of Havana, they don't even have glass in the windows. Oh, wow. So this is it. So you'll see often people, you know, just looking out through the bars. Mm. Uh, and you can see even the second level has bars on that window too. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's great. Okay, the third shot. This is, I, I love your title for this, no comment. Yeah, <laughs> tell, right. tell us about this. This is this is a mystery to those who don't either go to the website or don't watch the enhanced podcast. There there is a um, there's a famous club, the Tropicana. It's very touristy. Mm. Um, I would say when we are in Cuba for a workshop, some of the times we go to this, some of the times we don't. Some some people want to go, some people don't want to go. But it's a you know a big time cabaret show, you know, straight out of the 1940s in Cuba, mm, wow. uh, 40s and 50s. So. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, I guess you would say scantily clad bodies, uh, <laughs> with, with outrageous, you know, skirts and so forth. But, yeah. um, I, 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 one of the things I always liked about this was the, the blue gloves. They look like rubber gloves. They do. <laughs> it's like, why is she dressed like that? And then has these blue rubber yeah. gloves on, <laughs> you know, the, the music in Cuba is phenomenal. Yeah. And, um, so it's one of the things we try and do is include, you know, some opportunities to, you know, hear the music and, and see the dancers. Great. Yeah. Great well, fun. It, it's, 
and I believe Cuba's classed as as a Latin American country, right? So well, yeah, it's, it's you know it's where salsa started. Yeah, so I mean it's yeah. got to be it's got to be really vibrant, you know, not only colorful wise, but yeah, the music and the the uh, the the excitement of the city. I'm I'm sure it's yeah. great. So the 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 next one, um, the guy laughing. This is the butcher. Um, yeah. What about this? I love this. I well, love this that is, expression on his face. Yeah, this is an interesting guy because this is a a market. It's a it's an old abandoned warehouse that's now set up with stalls selling everything imaginable, mostly food products. And this particular butcher sort of a nasty fellow. He doesn't want anybody taking his picture. And so uh, other people who know him and know this market say, how did you ever get that picture? Mm -mm. And it it was because I took it after he said, no, you can't take my picture. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, uh, yeah, he's got a, he's just got a marvelous expression. And, uh, the, the, the light in Cuba is gorgeous. I don't know exactly what's causing it, but even when it's bright sun, there's enough haze that you get a softening. And then you have buildings like this where they have windows up high. The windows might be up at about 18 or 20 feet high. Mm. And so there's light coming in that just a very soft light lighting up the space. So mm. it's a, a gorgeous places to shoot interiors. Yeah, I was thinking that. The next one as well. Um, but we'll talk about that in a moment. So I, I get what you're, what you're saying, though. Uh, this this looks like, um, can I, you know, kind of take your photo? No, and then you raise the camera, and he's like, "What? You took my photo anyway?" And it's like, <laughs> it's, "That's great. I love that backstory." But and, I, and I showed, I did, I did show him the picture as I usually do, and he was very happy with the picture. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so I, I love the the whole story of this, though. You you look out, and we've got the apples or some fruit in the background, and the the guy looking through and out into the to the doorway, and then the 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 street in the distance, and it's. It's probably, uh, you know, there's a lot of layers of interest in this photograph. I love it. Oh, I'm glad you do. So, yeah, the next one, the wagging finger. That, that's pretty cool. This, this was ironically in the same market the same day, mm. about, you know, 30 meters away. Mm. And uh, this is sort of a different situation. This woman was lecturing the guy she's with. And, uh, I, you know, I could have been inches from her face and she would have just ignored me. She was so intense with this. So <laughs> this is a wag of the finger. Again, this beautiful light you yeah, can see. Exactly. You know, the hair light coming in from above there, picking yeah. up a little bit of the smoke off her cigarette there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, a, it's a, a beautiful place. I, I love it. This is the the one, this and the last one, I they, they got me thinking about the beautiful light as well. And uh you know the the way it's it's just coming down and and catching the the muscle sort of texture and the contours on his arm, um, but the the thing that I love about this more than anything is the the shutter speed that you selected is just enough to get the woman's finger actually in in motion. So it's it's emphasising the wagging motion. I love that. Yeah, your eye really is drawn to that, isn't it? <laughs> Brilliant. So. Um, uh, the next one, the, this is the color that you were talking about. I love, I love the ver- variety of colors in this shot. Tell us a little bit about this. Well, this this might surprise you actually. So this is um, a well known street near the capital in Havana, hmm. um, with these very pretty buildings. And this this style of colonial architecture is all over Havana. This is not unique. Hmm. Uh, just this particular combination. But this is actually a three image panorama. Oh, okay. Uh, a handheld pano. Um, I just wanted to get everything sort of straightened. It's it's straightened in post-production. It's mm. stitched, obviously, in post-production as well. Mm. Um, but there's a secret about this image. Mm. And that is because it's a three-image panorama, mm. there are people who appear in more than uh. one of the shots. <laughs> I get you. Yeah. And I will leave it to other people who want to look at this and try and find the duplicates. And I'll say one thing, which is that I'm not beyond changing the color of people's clothing. <laughs> so, so you change the color of their clothing to to hide the fact that it's the same person. That's brilliant. Exactly right. Exactly <laughs> right. But this is this is a this is a, a, a except for the fact that it's a wide street and most of the streets in Havana are very narrow. Mm. Um, this is somewhat typical of the architecture and what you'll see there. Yeah, uh, that's brilliant. Nice backstory as well. So uh, the the next one with the the girls in the in the dance school. Tell us a little bit about this. 
Yeah, these these girls are terrific. Um, the arts are very big in Cuba, as I said. Music is big. Dance is very big. Mm. And this is a very well-known dance company, the Least Alfonso Dance Company. Mm. And this is their school. Mm. And um, uh, sometimes if the teachers, if, if the dance company's in the country, we get to go and shoot their rehearsals and their their, their, their classes, I mean. Mm. Uh, it seems more often than not, because they're so popular, they're traveling somewhere in the world and we don't get a chance to go in there. But we always find some dance school to go to, mm. uh, at least one. Mm. And so um, these young girls are, you know, she's, I'm leaning up against, I'm sitting on the floor leaning up against the window and she's looking at her, uh, not a window, a mirror. Mm. She's like dancers do. She's looking at herself in the mirror and, and, you know, trying to get the right look. Mm. You know, she's very young. Mm. And uh, she was terrific. Uh, yeah. Well, I love photographing the dancers in Cuba. They are they are some of my favorites. Yeah, and again, the beautiful quality of light here coming probably looks like it's coming in through a window or yep. or something. Yeah, um, yeah. You can see see the windows against the back wall. It's yeah, a typical warehouse warehouse window. Yeah, um, and then in this case, though, there's. Uh, on the wall she's facing, there are mirrors going halfway up the wall. Mm, mm. And I love the the raw feeling of the uh, the steel girder in the background there. It's, instead of a coated uh -huh. pillar, it's just like a, a girder supporting the, the upper floor or the ceiling. Like, yeah, no, that's exactly. really, really sort of warehouse-ish, but then you've got these beautiful young girls in there. So they're, uh, yeah, they're lovely. Um, I, I guess the contrast, the... You know the contrast against the the young the young girls with the uh, with the the sort of raw warehousey feel. Um, mm -hmm. It's quite a contrast. Yeah, one one uh, dance school we visit is actually in a an old theater, and uh, it's in such. I mean, there's you know you there's nothing in there. It looks like a bombed out theater. There's no ceiling or roof on the building. Oh wow! Um, you know they have some tarps up there, sort of trying to keep out the rain, but um, it's just this totally destroyed building that happens to have a wide open flat space and that's all they need to have a dance class. Wow, that's incredible. So the the next one, um, the tobacco farmer, is, is she actually rolling a cigar there? Yeah, she's, uh, when we do the trip that includes getting outside of Havana, we go to a town called Vinales, uh, which is a tobacco farming town. Mm. And this is my friend Helen. She, uh, she does... Um, she demonstrates for everybody who comes in there how they roll cigars, how they make them, mm. the different types of leaves that go into a cigar and so forth. And she has this on her farm. She has this little shack mm. and uh, the light in there is just so gorgeous. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't, you, you can't, you know, you couldn't do this. <laughs> you couldn't, mm. of course. But so for the photographers, you know, behind her camera left is an open doorway and that's bringing in the light that's hitting the back of her head, mm. the back of her right arm, and uh, and so forth. And then camera right against the wall is uh, a window. Mm. And that's the glare on her forehead, her left cheek, and so forth. And I just, the, the lighting in there is just so beautiful. And um, the first time I met her, I took this picture. Mm. And as I like to do when I go back, I take small prints of people who i think i might see again mm, yeah just a little four, a little four by six print mm -hmm. and um and my prints on the wall now if you in fact if you were to look where those bottles are in the center of the picture yeah. that wall now has my picture on it <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant i love that and, and that's always such a special thing i i i enjoy doing that myself uh, i don't get to go to the same place a lot but when I do, I, I often do that as well. It's a, it's a really nice gesture. So the uh, the next one. No, the, I want to I, oh, yeah. I want to mention one other thing. Yeah. This is tip. This is tips for people who go anywhere. Mm. Um, and you probably would encounter this in on your your Africa trips. Mm. Um, if I want to photograph the people, which mm. I do, mm. I do a couple of things. You know, one is to take little toys for the kids and stuff. That mm. gets a little crazy. Mm. But I I take postcards from home. Oh yeah. So I will go to I will go to Cuba with fifty postcards from San Francisco. I see. And uh, you know I like to talk to people, get to know them. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll give them a postcard. This is this is where I live, San Francisco, and people always love it. It's oh, great. Yeah, I'm sure. That's, not that's gonna, great. Not going to do this in London or Paris, but I'm talking about a third world country. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. The other, the other thing that I've learned to do is I take a little 
Instax camera, Fuji Instax. Mm. That gives me instant pictures, you know, Polaroid yeah. type pictures. Yeah. And that's also a terrific icebreaker is to give someone a, a portrait of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. There uh, are, there are mothers with babies who don't have any photographs of their babies. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, imagine how that would work in Namibia or, or Kenya, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it depends on the situation. These, these people in Cuba have obviously, they've got, they've got houses and they've got places that they can actually hang the photographs. There are, there are some places in Namibia that we visit where they, they don't even have a place to hang a photograph or to keep a photograph. So I, I right. think it, it depends. I mean, if you, it depends on who you're, you're photographing, but when there's, when there's a, a way for them to actually keep the photographs, then it's, it's a great gesture. Um, it reminds me of, I, I, when I was traveling to India many years ago on, on business, I would take an afternoon uh, every every so often to go to a local market, and I I took some photographs back to that market. Uh, you know, people that I'd photographed there in the past, and I walked through and I found the people and gave them the photographs, um, and then you know I walked back through the market and I I asked a, a young guy if I could take his photograph, and he he when I'd finished it, he held his hand out for the photograph. And I, and, and I said, well, I, I don't have it. You know, I, I'll have to bring it back the next time I come. And he said, well, yeah. you were giving those people their photographs. I said, yeah, but that's ones that I've taken in the past. Um, so it was, it was a little bit awkward, but I think he finally figured it out. Um, What's yeah. amazing in Havana, you know, this city of two million people, is that I also, I also keep a GPS log in my mobile phone. So mm. I, I, I geotag all my images. Yeah. Um, but that means I know exactly what street I was on when I took a given picture. So I can actually go back into Havana and go, if I photograph someone outside their home, mm. um, I have, I have an extremely good chance of being able to find them. Yeah. That, I think that's important. I, I, I geotag my images as well. Um, usually just so that I can, um, find out exactly what the place was called and stuff like that. Plus it's really cool to, to look on a map and see all of your images and um, where you've been, but yeah, that's that's definitely something that if you're going to do that, then in preparation, geotagging is probably um, almost a necessity. You know, I'm going to make a plug for a, a mobile app here. Mm. I use something called Galileo Offline Maps Pro. Mm. It's I think it's a three dollar app for Android and iOS. Mm. Um, you know, in Cuba, because you don't have data service for your cell mm. um, cell phone. You need a map, an offline map. So mm. I have in my iPhone, I have the map of Cuba, all of Cuba. It's a detailed map with, you know, restaurants, hotels, everything. Mm. Um, and I download that when I'm in the U.S. before I come over to Cuba. Yeah. That gives me the ability. It has logging. Yeah. Logging your GPS uh, location, exporting that to a file. Yeah. Um, but it also has the ability you can import bookmarks. So for example, I have a file of all the places that we go in my workshops. I see. Um, all the restaurants, all the sites that we visit. Yeah. And before the trip, before the trip, I send this file to the participants. Oh, wow. They install that. Now when they bring up the Havana map, they've also got all of Doug's bookmarks. Oh, brilliant. Um, and uh, it is just a great way. It means that I can tell people, I can say, look, we'll meet you at that intersection in two hours. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really valuable. Phone. I'll have to check that out. Galileo yeah, Offline Gal Maps Pro, you say? Yeah, Galileo Offline Maps Pro. The, Pro. the Pro version, I think iOS has a Pro version. I think Android, I think the regular edition is already Pro. I think that's what it, uh, how it works. Yeah. Excellent. That's a great tip. So um, let's see. The next one. We... Uh, the telephone guy. This <laughs> is really cool. Yeah, yeah. These are these are Cuba's payphones, which, um, uh, unlike other parts of the world, the payphone is still an important way to get in touch with people. Mm. But this this is what I love about this is just the dangling arm. <laughs> yes, I don't know why exactly. I, I, I don't know why, but you know, uh, you know, we've cut off his head. That's funny enough. But there's something about this just very sort of limp arm. Yeah, it, you um, know, it you know, he's, he's not animated in conversation. He's just sort of 
I don't know. He's like it's just sort of standing in this large hair dryer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it almost feels as though because we it, he's at an angle where we wouldn't be able to see the other arm anyway. It's almost as though he's attached by the head and just dangling from his dangling there with both arms straight down. It's I love it. Um, but the, yeah, again, the contrast here, the light's beautiful. The contrast and the way. You know, very dark, darkly coloured telephone, these covers. I was going to call them telephone boxes, but yeah. And then the white wall behind it is, it's a beautiful contrast. Well, and, and you can tell, even though there are, you know, bright shadows there, you can tell that this is um, some fairly soft light. I mean, look at the, look at the shadow on his arm. There's detail in the shadow and in the highlights there. Yeah, so you know yeah. this isn't, you, you know that there's some softening of the light in the shadows. Yeah, Um yeah. And in this nice. case, yeah, I'm not sure what exactly it's from because you can see the inside of these shells is black. So yeah, anyway, yeah, no, it's great. It, I, it it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it, although the the angle is different, but the, because the walls are, are light and the ground is is quite bright as well, it's probably just bouncing back up and around. Yeah, uh, and yeah. probably behind behind me, there's probably another light colored wall as well. Yeah, yeah. So lots of light bouncing around. I love that. So. The last image. Um, this looks like almost almost a dangerous situation. Tell us a little bit about this. <laughs> it it would, but you know, again, the Cuban people are so marvelous. Mm. They're, they are they are maybe the most friendly people in the world that I've ever met. Oh, brilliant! And they're glad to see you, and they're glad to talk to you. So this was uh, interesting. This is one of the things that happens at these Wi-Fi hotspots that I mentioned. Is mm. people who have cars will bring. They'll, they'll drive to the mm. hotspot, mm. like going to the drive-in movie, right? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, they'll bring their family. Sometimes you have mom, dad, a couple of kids and a baby in the back seat, you know? Wow. Um, but these are just two guys who uh, are parked opposite the hotspot. And uh, uh, I got the picture again. I just, I, I love, you know, I love the dome light in the car. Yeah. And, and particularly the silhouette of the guy in the foreground that you can barely see. Yeah, um, yeah. Just it, a nice, a nice quality of light. Is he pointing his finger at your camera or something? It looks like he's he's pointing. You know, it. I can't. I, I'm looking at the original. I can't tell. <laughs> but it, yeah, like, very friendly guys. Yeah, they, I I love the quality of light here again. Like you say, the the the, the light is probably one of the the things that binds all of these photos together. Obviously, it's a cohesive set, but you, you've you used light um, so well in all of these. Um, thanks for sharing these with us, Doug. It's it's uh, it's beautiful work. And uh, pleasure. obviously, um, we've mentioned a couple of times uh, that you, you run your tours there. Um, where can people go if, if, they, if they're interested in going to Cuba? Um, how can they find you uh, to, to t check out the details? Yeah, just go to dougk.com, D-O-U-G-K-A-Y-E.com, mm. um, and click on the workshops link, and you'll see that. I have um, uh, I have three workshops coming up in the next few months. I've, November is sold out. I'm going, I'm leaving in three weeks for that one. Oh, cool. Uh, January 2017, we have a few slots, and March 2017, we have a few slots. The, the January trip is Havana only, okay. six days. Yeah. And then in March, we do a longer trip. We add in a couple of days in the town Vinales and a couple of days in the town Trinidad. Oh, wow. So it's a ten it's a ten day trip, but you get to see the the farm country and Trinidad, which is a the, one of the oldest cities in Cuba. It's a five hundred year old city. Mm. Uh, beautiful, beautiful town. Wow. So yeah, go to dougk.com and uh, look for workshops. Yeah, brilliant. So I uh, obviously knowing you. And, um, and, and, you know, like we said earlier, knowing you uh, personally, I, I can't think of anyone better that I'd like to go to Cuba with, um, so, or anywhere really. So, uh, so I, I can definitely recommend people check that out if, if you're interested. Um, thank you, Mark. So and I, I learned, I learned a lot about workshops from you. <laughs> oh, that's kind of you. Thanks. <laughs> so, um, let's see, uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to impart on the listeners before we, before we wrap up? Only the perhaps the most important thing, and that's the uh, cigars and and uh, rum. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it, it's not a big deal if you're not American, but if you're American, the idea that you can now bring back cigars and rum from Cuba is amazing. Even if you don't smoke cigars and don't drink rum, yeah. you know somebody who wants it. <laughs> so uh, that's yeah. that's a, a big thing. And um, and as of as of two weeks ago or less than two weeks ago, mm. um, they even dropped the limit on how much you could bring back as long as it's for your personal use. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Cuban cigars, it's almost like it should be almost hyphenated, shouldn't it? It's, it's as though cigars, it, it's synonymous with Cuba in some ways. So I, uh, I can definitely see how someone would like one of those. Yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not a smoker, but to be there and have a Cuban cigar with good Cuban rum, the combination is magical. Love yeah, it. Brilliant. Okay. Well, Doug, thanks very much for, for your time today. And, uh, it's been a pleasure looking through your photographs and hearing about Cuba. Um, you've definitely uh, piqued my interest as well. Thanks a lot. Um, and I, uh, I I hope that we don't leave it too long before we get you back on the show again. Um, no, either I've got to get to Japan or you've got to get to San Francisco, one or the other. Yeah, yeah. Or we can you know meet at some far off uh, point on the planet as we've done in the past. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Okay, well, thanks a lot, and uh, I look forward to talking with you again. And good luck on the new podcast as you as you ramp that up. Okay, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Martin. Okay, bye bye. That was fun. I always enjoy speaking with Doug, so I hope you enjoyed that too. The images that we've just discussed, as I said, you can see those at uh, mbp.ac/546. And also on an, an enhanced podcast. So if, you, if you're using the Apple app for the podcast app, there's still problems with that. There has been for the last couple of years. I'm actually using an app called Downcast now for listening to podcasts. And that shows the enhanced podcast images perfectly. So search for Downcast in the App Store if you want to replace your podcast app with something that actually works. If you're wondering what's happened to part three of the Iceland travelogue, I'll bring that back next week. I had an opportunity to speak with Doug and I thought I'd take that. And so uh, we've just slotted that in. We'll be back to Iceland again next week. So thanks very much for listening today. If you enjoy this podcast, please share a link with your friends. Subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast program to ensure interrupted delivery. If you have a moment to rate the podcast or leave us a review in iTunes, that helps to keep us relevant in the huge number of podcasts out there now. You can find me on Google+, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, etc. And links to everything that I'm up to are at martinbaileyphotography.com, so do drop by and take a look. I'll be back next week with that part three of the Iceland series, but in the meantime, you take care and have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye.